Welcome to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Take your assigned seats and listen close as the next hour will have you rethinking the public education system while you listen to Ross and his guests share their expertise and experiences in the field. Class is in session. Here is your host, Ross Danis. Welcome back to Let's Reinvent School. Today we'll be talking about measuring what matters. You know, preparing young people to thrive as adults takes more than school. Success in life is often a result of the experiences young people have outside of school. Mentoring programs, internships, exposure to a variety of career opportunities, mental health services, and financial support can clear a path to a bright future, particularly for those young people who face obstacles. Today, we have five nonprofit leaders operating in the career and college readiness arena. In an era where impact is often determined by what's measurable, we'll be asking ourselves, how can we best measure what matters? Joining us today, Molly James from Wayfinders, Aaron Randolph from Carolina Youth Coalition, Nikki Keith representing Road to Hire, Omar Parks from MechEd, Erica Reynoso from Urban Promise. In segment three, helping us answer the question, what have we learned today, is Shelly Bybee, MechEd's Chief Operations Officer. So let's get started with a quick round robin with our guests. Please give our visitors and listeners your so-called elevator pitch. In other words, what's your why and who are you focused on helping? Let's start with Molly. Hi, Ross. Thank you. So I'm Molly James with Wayfinders, and we are a youth empowerment um, nonprofit, and we serve every year um, 150 plus um, Title I um, public school students with mentoring, one-on-one mentoring, summer camp experiences, and year-round enrichment programming. And our mission is to expand our students' confidence and connections and horizons. We're building their social capital with the goal that they'll graduate high school on time with a solid plan for college and career. Thanks, Molly. Terrific. Aaron, Carolina Youth Coalition. Thanks, Ross. Um, Carolina Youth Coalition is a college access and persistence nonprofit organization, uh, meaning we uh, work hard and work intently to remove barriers to both college access and college graduation, uh, particularly for low-income students and those who are the first in their family to attend college. Uh, We currently serve about 250 students in total um, through two programs, uh, our high school program, which is a a 10-month year-round after-school program. Uh, that is focused on college prep with helping students gain entrance to a college and uh, find a way to pay for it. And then our persistence program that follows them during their time in college to ensure they successfully transition to college, um, fully leverage their college experience and graduate ready to enter the workforce. Well, Nikki, Road to Hire. Good afternoon, Ross. Thank you for having Road to Hire here today. Road to Hire works to eliminate intergenerational poverty by placing young adults on the path to high growth, um, high earning tech careers. And so the HOW focuses on supporting young adults in Title I high schools. Our team teaches classes on um, post high school prep and identifying what's next. We support first generation college students with scholarships and support to make sure they get to and through college debt-free. And we also support aspiring young professionals via tech apprenticeships. So essentially Road to Hire has three entry points on the path to economic justice. And you can tell just listening to the the three of you that you've done this before. Just once or twice. twice. Omar, MacEd. Thank you, Dr. Ross. Uh, my name is Omar Parks, and I am director of MECED's Career Pathways Program, which is a college and career readiness program designed to position uh, high school students in four CMS high schools, Geringer, Chambers, Harding, and West Charlotte. Um, we're designed to position those students to make informed decisions about their next steps after high school. Uh, we serve uh, 160 students on our caseload and over 2,000 students across the uh, school-wide student body here in Mecklenburg County. Thanks. Thanks, Omar. And finally, Erica and Urban Promise. Hi. Um, Yeah, Urban Promise uh, is a program nonprofit that serves four neighborhoods in Charlotte where we provide out-of-school programming to K-3 students. Um, And what's unique about our program is that 
we hire high school students or who we refer to as street leaders to be the mentors and tutors to our younger students. But in the process, they receive the academic, spiritual and college support to be able to um, attend college after high school. Terrific. Well, thank you all for your good work. You're doing amazing things in the field and helping transform the lives of young people, so many of them. I know that all of us are dependent upon individual corporate and foundation dollars. I'm curious as to what some of the metrics are that you use to report on your success and perhaps what are some of the metrics your funders uh, ask you for to report on success. And I'd like to start with, with Carolina Youth Coalition. Aaron, how do you measure impact? Awesome. Uh, we kind of have uh, two pillars of, of impact. So there, there's our college access um, performance measures. So um, we are looking at the percent of students who roll, enroll in post-secondary education. And more specifically, um, how are we working to eliminate uh, crippling amounts of student loans for those debts? So, or for those students. So uh, for those students who are enrolling in two-year, four-year, um, how much loans are they taking out? How many are going um, debt-free completely? Um, and then on the persistent side, we're tracking um, everything from uh, freshman college retention rates to uh, graduation rates. Uh, and as we get older as an organization, we hope to be able to track um, employment after uh, college as well. Yeah. Nikki, how does, how does Road to Hire measure success? So some, some are similar to what, what Aaron mentioned, but in, in the high school space, we're really looking to ensure that students have what they need to get to the next point. So it's FAFSA completion rate, it's um, college admissions applications, it's attendance, um, just because we know attendance will ensure that they graduate. And then also looking at the prep that they do pre-freshman year in college. Um, Much like Aaron, though, on the college side, it's persistence rates, um, retention rates, but we're also looking at the number of touch points for exposure to the corporate sector. So internships, we want when our students graduate and eventually enter the corporate space, that that is not the first time that they're in the corporate space. And with the apprenticeship program, we're measuring graduation rates from that program. Once they're placed with an employer partner, we're looking at that one-year attrition. It's our hope that most of our students or graduates will stay with that employer partner more than one year, and most do, but that's an important point. We also look at promotion rates um, to see how they're doing. And as they're able to share, sometimes we also look at quality life, quality of life metrics, so salary, continuing education, home purchases, et cetera. Fantastic. And Molly? Yes, we, um, we track um, entry into ninth grade, whether that is on time, and we are relatively new to the high school space, but we are now a couple years into tracking on-time high school graduation. And then we do, our program starts in the fourth grade, and so we, we have a long-term um, um, relationship with our students. So we're checking things like growth and self-esteem, their sense of belonging, um, they're learning new skills when they are participating in our programs, um, their goal-setting skills, um, things like that. And just a follow-up question, how, I'm just so curious, how do you measure self-esteem? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, we ask parents to um, talk about their child's self-esteem, what they see. And then we also, since we are um, one part of our program is a summer camp program, we also ask the camp counselors about what they witness as far as the student's self-esteem. And we can see how that changes over time in our program. Interesting. So interesting. And Erica from Urban Promise? Yeah, so we measure impact um, in our K-8 students through their reading growth since we provide them with reading instruction. But with our street leaders, our high school students, we do um, track uh, a lot of their uh, progress their senior year, whether it nets total of college acceptances, um, amount of merit-based scholarship offered to our seniors, um, and also the percentage of our student of our seniors that um, will be borrowing less than the North Carolina average. Um, of college expenses. Uh, And at Urban Promise, we do have the 20-year journey. So our hope is to walk alongside our students from kindergarten through young adulthood. And so in the future, we hope to be able to capture how that young, the data 
at their younger stage reflected through um, high school and young adulthood. I'm curious as to how you plan to gather that data once they leave school. Yeah, so we actually, this past year, we were able to start our alumni program. So it's we're still in year one and we're still um, learning and understanding how we're tracking that. But we do, we did just begin our alumni program where we have somebody on staff dedicated to track the progress for our um, alumni. I see. Interesting. And finally, Omar Parks from McEd. Sure. Um, so we track success uh, at a few different points during a student's participation program. Uh, while they're actively participating, we, we try to copy, uh, capture how many work-based learning opportunities they're actually engaged in. How many, is there a diverse offering of, of activities that they're participating in? Um, and then once they start tracking towards graduating high school, we make sure that they're on track. Success is measured by their enrollment in one of a few areas, including are they uh, employed gainfully after graduation or are they in the military, are they in college, or are they in uh, some sort of occupational skills program. Um, and then after uh, they have enrolled in one of those four areas, we track them for another 12 months after that, after they've been exited from the program to make sure that they are persistent and still tracking towards the goals that they had in place, either while they were exiting from the program or if they've established new goals, we make sure that they are progress towards I see. So a question to the group, because I know that all of us are, are uh, funded through foundations and private dollars. Um, do, do funders ever support you in terms of gathering that data, you know, provide additional support to hire somebody to gather that data or, or to subcontract it out? And this is just open to everyone, anyone who would like to respond. Hi, Ross. Um, this is Nikki. I'm happy to jump in. Right now, Road to Hire is young on our journey, so no, um, it's an easy answer. We don't have any funders that are um, supporting us, even though, but we do have um, one equitable foundation that has convened a group of us to kind of start that conversation on how we would do this from a collaborative approach. But as it stands, we don't have specific funding to capture the data. Right. And just to put a plug in for equitable financial, you know, how forward thinking in, uh, on their part to bring all five of these organizations, including MECAD, together to say, you know, maybe uh, we could work together on some form of metrics or some support to help you not just gather the data, but use it to inform your practice. So good for them. And, and you know, the, the, most of us struggle with not just gathering it, but as I mentioned, using it to inform practice because of all of the interventions we might do, it'd be so interesting to find out maybe these three are the ones that are making the biggest difference. Let's do more of that. Let's do less of this. Um, I will say that because of federal responsibilities that we do a lot of numbers tracking in our organization, you know, how many, how many job shadows, how many internships, how many students went on a college tour. And I know that's important, but there are moments when we think, um, maybe maybe it's more than just the numbers, and maybe there are other things we could we could assess that impact the child's life. That's why I was particularly intrigued when Molly talked about self esteem and belonging. You know, what kind of a life are you living? Are you happy with your life? Are you satisfied? Do you feel fulfilled? Um, you know, are you uh, socially responsible? Do you take care of yourself? Self care is important. Are you persistent? Those are the kinds of things that that are so elusive but yet so important. So, you know, we're going to, in a few minutes, we're going to dig deep into that. Um, uh, but, uh, but once again, congratulations to, to um, Equitable Financial. It couldn't be here today, but in our third segment, Shelley will be, will be talking a little bit more about what they're planning to do. So, um, Road to Hire, you've been around for how long, Nikki? Um, Road to Hire has been a nonprofit since 2016. So, we're still fairly new in this space, and we're certainly... We've um, initially started with the apprenticeship program, but the program supporting Title I high school students and college students is just uh, just evolved within the past two to three years. And, and what's the connection to Red Ventures? So the apprenticeship program was incubated within the walls of Red Ventures. And so Red Ventures had this concept. I wonder if we train young adults um, from a non-traditional talent pipeline um, and determine 
how can we best support them to be prepared for the tech jobs that we have available? And that pilot was wildly successful. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, Road to Hire became a 501c3 and the opportunity was expanded to other employer partners in our community. Thank you. And, you know, Molly, Wayfinders, just interesting to learn about our different demographics and the age groups that um, we focus on. It must be really satisfying to focus on this 20-year, what, what did you call it, 20-year plan or 20-year approach? I think that was actually Urban Promise who oh, said I'm that. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I confused. Erica, yeah, tell us more about the, the 20-year plan. Yeah, so um, our goal is to be able to welcome our students in our as kindergartners and really walk alongside them through the street leader program, the high school program that we have here. And um, since Urban Promise has been here since 2013, so we have been able to see a few generations of former campers becoming street leaders and be able to graduate and go to, on to college. So we've seen a part of this 20-year journey as we've seen some campers growing through our program. Um, but now, like, our commitment is, you know, with our current kindergartners or current second graders, how can we support them to get them through um, high school and support them as they take steps as young adults? In a moment, we're going to take a break. Um, I'm so I'm so taken by the good work and the passion that all of you bring to this work. And sometimes I ask myself, what would we do without all of these community partners? Because our, you know, our schools can't do it all and it's not up to them to do it all. But these kinds of experiences that all of you provide really are making a difference in the lives of the young people we serve. And so grateful, grateful for all the work that you do. Now, it's my honor to actually lead an organization called MacEd, which you heard from Mr. Parks uh, about, and who's the director of Career Pathways here in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. And to learn more about MECED, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.meched.org. And when we return, we'll explore how nonprofits can collaborate to increase individual and collective impact, as well as innovate uh, and create new ways to measure what matters. Don't go away. We'll be right back. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, Before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. It's goal to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MECED, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think I, th- I do think MECED has invested in me, um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so MECED means opportunity family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, Career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, It's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections, and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would would, would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, It's not, I don't know having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family.
MECED's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places in different ways. With after school, you're, you're hitting on academics. You're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like you have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and Mac Ed, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. Want to raise your hand and join us on the show? Call in to 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Ross Danis. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Reinvent School, the program that's focused on what's possible, not necessarily what's wrong with our schools these days. Today's episode features five extraordinary nonprofit leaders all focused on college and career readiness, as well as workforce development. And before the break, we learned about the good work each is doing, and we're going to shift gears a little bit now to discuss alternative ways to measure impact and to coordinate our efforts. And just a quick reminder, in our third and final segment, we'll be joined by Shelley Bybee from MECAD, who'll help us answer the question, so what did we learn today? So in terms of gathering data to inform practice, can one of you give me an example or give our audience an example of how some piece of information or some data actually changed what you are doing? And I'm just going to hey, open up. Yeah, Aaron. It's Aaron. Uh, I'll jump in. Um, one of the um, things we've been able to do around our, our data and evaluation um, is partner with uh, UNC Charlotte and their uh, public health uh, actually department. Um, and we've been able to use a, uh, an assessment tool called ASICS, uh, which is academic success, uh, self in academic success inventory uh, for college students. And um, one of the things it tells us uh, is a lot of information around students' academic transitions, their social transitions, um, and even their mental health state um, while they're in college. And so um, we're able to use that particular survey that they fill out their freshman year um, to not only inform um, the persistent support we're providing uh, to the individual student, but we also take a look and see if there are particular trends within uh, different cohorts hmm. uh, that we can inform our high school program um, to better prepare them to maybe master some of those things. So if it's anxiety or if it's connecting with professors or if it is um, maybe even substance abuse or, or mental health, whatever it may be, hmm. uh, we can use that to sort of think about how do we better prepare our high school students to conquer those things once they enter college. And, and what kinds of trends again, are you noticing? Um, I would say, especially over the last two years, uh, we've been, we've been using the tool for the last two years, uh, particularly high levels of, of anxiety and depression uh, students in terms of mental health. Um, I would say another one uh, that it measures is the impact that uh, social life, particularly I guess you can say partying um, has on students' academics. Um, and, and those three are probably the highest. And so those are conversations we're trying to uh, incorporate into our high school program more so that students can be uh, alert for those obstacles and challenges before they get to college and as they, as they transition to college. A lot. Um, you know, our folks from Wayfinders um, 
I'm just curious as to how much time goes into gathering this kind of data. Molly? Yeah, it's always a, a struggle with a, a staff that is not as large as we wish it were um, mm-hmm. to find the time for this work. But we do have a consultant that we work with um, and we, we do surveys annually for our scholars and their parents and camp counselors and our mentors. And um, we get academic data from the school system throughout the year. Um, and then um, annually, we have our consultant um, take that data and process it for it oh. for us and create an annual report. So it's um, it's you know once a year we're focused on that in particular, but um, it's something that it, it's great to have all of this data. It's harder to find the time to take it and translate it into what do we need to do differently or better. Yeah, I totally understand. You're right. For It could be up on the wall on your whiteboard, but how does that translate into what you're going to do tomorrow? Yeah, that takes some time. Erica, how about, how about at Urban Promise? How much time goes into collecting, gathering data? Yeah, I think it's naturally integrated into the roles that we have at our organization. So, um, for instance, the younger students are for the literacy piece that's naturally integrated into reading classes and with our high school students. Um, as our seniors are applying, our street leader directors, who's the person on staff at each site who supports our street leaders, um, they're tracking that um, through the different documents and databases that we have access to. Um, so it's really just a matter of like maintaining that data as we go, as we learn of acceptances and financial aid. Um, plugging it into Excel sheets. So I think it it happens naturally um, through how we serve our students. Um, However, we are um, starting this year, we started using an online database to to just generate the data and collect it, I think, a bit with higher um, efficiency, I would say, for us. Mm -hmm. You know, here at MEC, thank you, here at MECED, there's an awful lot of data collection with NC Works. And, you know, every time we have it, interaction with one student that has to be recorded. Uh, if we have 10 students participate in the program, that's 10 different entries uh, around their caseload, on their caseloads. Uh, and then recently, and Omar, I'd like you to speak a little bit more about this. Recently, we started reporting out at our staff meeting about some of the numbers. Omar. You, we started reporting about which numbers specifically? I was yeah, the, the, the numbers that Megan reports out on a regular basis now. Oh, yes. Yeah, so that's, I think that's, that is at the crux of the entire conversation here. It's those numbers that we collect at our Monday staff meetings are primarily what our, our funders are wanting to see, the amount of actual um, engagements that we're having and, and, and things like that. But I feel like um, what is equally as important are the things that are sometimes harder to measure. Uh, we, we do, we are externally uh, I've heard you say, Ross, and, and um, a, a workforce development program for sure. But internally, we we, we describe ourselves as a, as a human development program because when we initially meet with our students, we do something called an objective assessment. And it kind of gives us an idea of where the student is, what they've been through, and where they see themselves in the future. And what we've found, especially increasingly so since the start of COVID, is that mental health is something that many of our young people are being challenged by. So we created some programs in direct response to that that our funders will probably never hear about because it's just not the numbers that they're looking to see. So we cover things like um, you know healthy relationships and uh, what, what does it mean to have a, a positive self-image? What is, what, our body, what is body positivity? And, and the kind of things that ultimately do lead themselves to um, helping young people become more employable because you have to be able to tackle those things before you can talk about how do you present yourself really at an interview and how do you, you know, what's effective communication, things like that. So we, we, we capture all of those. You know, and not uncommon actually to make important what's measurable rather than measure what matters. You know, it happens all of the time. I Listen, I was a principal of a middle school for a period of time and it was those little reports that got sent to the superintendent on a monthly basis that you were you were accountable for. How many absentees? How many you know incidents of violence? How many students on honor roll? When I, there are many nights I went home and 
thought to myself, well, what about the real things that matter? You know, that we, so-and-so, this young man just, you know, had a breakthrough in terms of his behavior in class and et cetera, et cetera. And well, let's stop, let's put a pin there and road to hire. Let's, let's circle back to you. Um, do you have somebody, Nikki, that's, that's on this full-time? Yes, Ross, we actually have two full-time staff members that are relatively new to our team within the past six months to measure data. And right now they're capturing all the things that we have across our programs that are related to the metrics. How many are in the program? What does persistence look like? What does attrition look like? Where we have a real opportunity and I hope to see us grow to is some of the things that Molly was mentioning related to self-efficacy particularly with the high school students and how can we measure if what we are doing is providing students with what they need to get to and through the next phase. Because all of our work, um, as Erica mentioned, it's the long journey and it's not something that we can just measure for one year and, um, and know that we're successful. And so I think some of those other indicators are where Road to Hire has an opportunity to um, grow what we're measuring. As we're talking, I'm thinking about all of the opportunities to collaborate and to align our work to increase our individual and collective impact. Because we're everybody here is doing great work. I just think, well, how do we how do we take advantage of of that, and how do we make sure that we're not, you know, we're not working in tunnels and silos, and um, and that we increase opportunities for collaboration. One that just came to mind while we were talking is. You know, we just purchased a van and, you know, Aaron was really generous with helping us understand, you know, some of the policies around the van and how to sign one in and out, uh, the drivers that he has, et cetera. So if, if anything comes out of this, it might be interesting for us to maybe circle back and have a quick meeting once a month or every other month just to, just to get to know each other's programming and know what we can do for each other in, in support of young people. So thank you for that, Aaron. By the way, um, it's still it's still on the road, so we're we're okay. Question about about um, data and measuring impact. This thing called collective impact. It, you know, it's one of those terms that comes around every now and then. We hear about. Uh, has it come up in your organization? Like, is your board asking things like, how do you increase your collective impact in addition to your your individual organizational impact? And I, I know I should be calling on somebody, but I'm just going to hope that in this case, somebody just jumps in. I'll jump in, Ross. Um, yeah. I don't know that our, our board or any of our um, supporters necessarily have asked about collective impact, but I do think we've, we've been challenged to think about how we um, work uh, collaborative, collaboratively with other organizations um, in the space, either from the standpoint of maybe um, programmatically, right? Uh, figuring mm -hmm. out ways that there's overlap and we can maybe reduce some inefficiencies and, and costs, et cetera. Um, but then also, I think probably more importantly is how do we share the knowledge and best practices that we've learned mm -hmm. uh, within each of our organizations to help the other organizations in the community grow and, and serve their kids just as well. So the example you mentioned of the, the van is a very simple one, but I think throughout our organizations, we're kind of becoming experts in in the work that we do. And I think that knowledge can be very valuable to other organizations if we're willing to, to share that and more young people can benefit from it. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. In fact, there's, there's plenty of need to go around. There's no need to be competitive. And around here, we, we often say all money is our money if we can get it to act in ways that advance our mission. So it's not, you know, we don't feel competitive. We're actually sincerely collaborative because we know that it's all about the outcomes at the end and, you know, how many kids we can serve and how many lives we can transform. So, um, and I, I, I so appreciate hearing, you know, from urban promise and, and about all of the good work that's being done at wayfinders and, and uh, at road to hire, because I just, you know, I'm learning, we're all learning about what each other's doing. And so urban, I mean, not urban, but road to hire, when you say Nikki 2016, um, how long have you been there? I've been at Road to Hire for almost one year. I see. Yeah. And um, do you participate in any kind of, um, you know, organization where nonprofit leaders come together to talk about their work on a regular basis? 
I think, yes, members of our team certainly participate in um, other thinking groups. I think there's the Crescent Coalition that members of our team participate in. I'm participating in a Black social capital leadership initiative. And I'm sure there are probably others that I'm missing. I think what you said, to collaborate, to your point of collaboration, it's key. Um, we do sometimes get, I guess, sucked into to the grind of, of our everyday work, but sometimes it is important organizationally for us to look and see what our partners in the work are doing and also with, to learn what they've learned so that we don't necessarily have to try to be an expert on all things. We just need to know the experts. Wow. Yeah, I love it. And I'm imagining all these data geeks out there listening, you know, who are just, you know, loving the numbers, enjoying this conversation, all what, two of them. <laughs> so, you know, of all topics to, to attract, you know, it's a really niche sort of, um, you know, idea, but this, the, the larger idea of using data to improve practice is pretty extraordinary, not exactly common in the field. So thank you all once again, and thank you all uh, for all of the good work you do every day and your organizations too. We're about to take a quick break. And during that time, we're going to learn a little more about MECED as well as, um, as well as encourage you to enter into your browsers, Wayfinders, Urban Promise, Carolina Youth Coalition, Road to Hire, because they're all wonderful organizations and they might, uh, might want you to participate in, in a program or volunteer or aid, maybe even donate. So don't go away. When we return, we'll be joined by Shelly Bybee, from MechEd, who will be asking us the question, so what have we learned today? We'll see you on the other side. Don't go away. So MechEd is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now, we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. It's called to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough, that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MECED, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think, I, th I do think MECED is invested in me. Um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so, making means opportunity. Family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections, and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had, through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would 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 do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not. I don't know. Having someone to talk to, a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family. MechEd's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are gonna need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we wanna make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're, you're hitting on academics, 
you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like you have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and MacEd, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Janis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. Want to raise your hand and join us on the show? Call in to 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Ross Danis. Welcome back, everyone, to Let's Reinvent School, the program that focuses on what's possible, not just what may be wrong. Today, we're talking about measuring what matters with five extraordinary nonprofit leaders, Shelly Bybee is joining us in our third segment, the segment where we ask ourselves, what have we learned today? And Shelly, I'm going to toss it to you. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Ross. Um, welcome, everybody. And it was great listening to the conversation today. Um, I did want to take a second. We mentioned equitable. So equitable um, financial and equitable foundation are really what kind of brought these five organizations together um, we all received generous support from them and did want to take a moment to thank them. And um, it's it's great to see our corporate partners doing this work. And, and what Equitable Foundation right now is focusing on is a lot in the space of education, more specifically around you know, teacher development, retention, and career and college readiness. Um, and they've been scheduling workshops for us to collaborate and look at what, what does measurement mean to each organization, what defines success for our programming, and how can we all better and more efficiently track this data, what they can do to support. So again, just really a huge thank you, because for most of us, I think this is not a common practice of our uh, funders, and it's really helping us all advance our missions. But um, yeah, again, I wanted to... Um, I started with just some different key terms that I thought might be interesting to focus on a little bit more. Maybe Molly, if we could start with you, um, talked about was social capital and, and here in Charlotte, social capital became a really um, prominent concept uh, in all of our conversations, but maybe for some people listening, they don't understand what that means. I'm wondering if you could provide a little bit of context around how um you view social capital and, and what that is uh, in your measurement. Sure, thanks Shelley. So social capital, um, I think about as the networks and connections that help us get ahead in life. And um, it's something that we focus on with the scholars in our program um, to make sure that throughout everything that we do, we are helping them build their social capital build their networks and connections so that they can um, get ahead in life. And we do that partly through by sending them to summer camp, partly by providing enrichment opportunities that help them get new experiences, but primarily through one-on-one -on -one mentoring. And so we ask our mentors to, um, it, it's really an exchange of value between the two. Um, they are, providing networks and connections for each other. And that's sort of the focus of our mentoring program. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I like to joke. My very first summer job uh, coming home from college was definitely because of my father's social capital. Um, and it never clicked until uh, more recently in my life when I started learning about the concept. So it's uh, incredibly important for all of our students. Um, 
something else that I wanted to uh, ask about, and Aaron, I'm going to um, kick this one over to you. Uh, several groups have talked about persistence and um, how we are helping those we serve with persistence. And um, recently I'd read an article, uh, I think it was in the Hecklinger um, journal, but it talked about how we prepare these low resourced students who may be high flyers. So they have the ability to get into these prestigious universities, but the supports are not there to help them with the specific needs that they have. But I think even on MECED's side, and so Omar, I may ask you to comment on this too, we even see that in the, um, the workforce space. So a lot of these corporations that want to attract a more diverse talent, um, they may not have supports in place that will make somebody feel like they belong. So Aaron, just can you talk a little bit about um, just any examples or what your students have seen when they go on to post-secondary and how your organization, these, these supports that help with persistence, what they look like, um, and maybe even if there's ideas around what these institutions could do that could be more beneficial for our students. Absolutely. Um, and first I'll acknowledge that our students and, and many of the students at all, all the organizations on the call working with are dealing with a pretty wide spectrum of challenges, particularly in, in trying to be the person in their family to graduate from college. Um, but I think something you mentioned, Shelley, uh, which is belonging, is actually a really critical and often overlooked part of college persistence. That is, do I feel a sense of belonging on this campus, uh, which is often a new environment, can be a little bit intimidating for students, particularly if it's you know significantly a, a distance away from home or um, they're one of a few in their classes that look like them, et cetera. And so what we encourage students to do from day one um, is, yes, there may be 10,000 students on your campus, but um, somewhere within that is, is find a group of uh, peers that uh, you can really um, create a sort of support network around. Um, and develop that sense of belonging, whether that is informally or whether that's joining um, any number of student organizations or uh, being involved in different campus activities. And I think that really helps students um, socially and academically to, to have that sense of belonging on the campus. Um, and so that's kind of the first step when, when we're talking to students about that transition is um, how do I sort of um, make myself a part of this campus and also put myself in a position to take advantage of all of the resources that my campus has to offer. I think, um, to your point earlier, that a, a lot of colleges have made some strides toward putting supports in place for um, under-resourced students who are entering their campus. Uh, but often, I think there's kind of a disconnect between students feeling comfortable um, accessing or asking for those resources. And I think that's the role that our organizations can really play as, a, as being a broker between um, sort of the resources that are available on campus and, and our students who um, are in need of those resources. Yeah, that's a great, um, a great point where we can all step in. Um, maybe Erica or Omar, uh, real quickly, what are some examples, anything? I know we've had a lot of great um, we have, you know, over 155 business partners that we can partner with to serve our students. Anything in particular you've seen being put in place or conversations you've had with um, any of these businesses to, to see that they're, they're thinking about, um, you know, how do you retain these employees and make them feel like they belong? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, when it comes to the sense of belonging, uh, Aaron, you made a really good point about that. That is something that I don't necessarily I don't want to say that I see the employers that we work with having a focus on that, but I, I will say that when we're, you know, so we are a college and career readiness program. And me personally, I'm a big advocate for HBCU enrollment. And I always encourage our students to go where they are welcomed and celebrated and, and less towards where they're tolerated. Um, and I feel like um, that is what I've seen uh, when students do, um, you know, choose that path. It does help address that concern of, you know, being lost and, and, and not sure if they belong where they're headed. Uh, we have been able to have, uh, we've been doing this for a while now, so we have students that are 
uh, alumni of our program that are currently in schools, and we've been able to have them be levels of support for our first year students, who are sometimes um, first time college goers in their families. So I think just a, a diverse offering of support, helping the student feel supported and welcomed, uh, a part of, um, that is, that's something that we have found to be key uh, with helping our students transition to whatever their next steps are. Yeah. On our whiteboards here at the office, it says, we got you. We got you no matter what. And I believe that our young people over time begin to believe that because it's true. And and uh, having them belong even to this organization, all to all of the nonprofits uh, represented here is providing that sense of belonging. to, to And it's so important to all of them, to all of us, right? Not just them. We benefit too. Um, nothing better, Omar, than to take a kid, take a group of kids on a college tour and have the person walking backwards telling them about the school being one of our alumni. That's right. Yeah, so love to capture that. So, any any final words? Of you know, I know Shelley had mentioned earlier, like what gives you hope? Do we have anything that comes to mind that could inspire our listeners that who've been listening to us talk about data for the past forty minutes? Our young people are going to change the world. They are 100 percent. Um, they are ready for what the world has for them. And they, they encourage me and I'm sure everybody else on this call daily. Um, they are a lot more than what they are, how they're represented on TV. Here, here. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to even watch the news these days, but you're right. They inspire us, all of us, uh, every day. So we're quickly approaching the conclusion of today's program, believe it or not. And I want to thank each and every one of you, not only for your time today, but for the good work you're doing in our community. And to thank all of the nonprofit leaders out there across the country who, who may find this uh, important information that they can use and bring back to their own organizations. And to all of our listeners out there who are continue to tune in in droves, our numbers continue to go up. We have four listeners in Spain that we just found out about. So uh, next week, next Thursday, we'll be focusing on teachers, principals, and superintendents who are considering leaving the profession. In fact, we have a teacher who's just about to leave, a principal who just left, and a superintendent who's, who's uh, retiring early. And we're going to ask them, you know, what is it? What's going on? And what can we do to keep you in the classroom, keep you in the profession? So don't miss it. It's next Thursday between 1 and 2. And of course, you can always find this program Within a few hours on the homepage, let's reinvent school. And within a couple of days on, and I've always wanted to say this, wherever you get your downloads. Uh, And so it'll be there. Thank you again to our listeners. Remember, we're not here to talk about what's wrong. We're here to talk about what's possible. Until next week, this is Rock Stannis. You've been listening to Let's Reinvent School. Onward. Thank you for listening to Let's Reinvent School. Tune in next week as we give you some more great insight into the state of the public education system. Until next week, class dismissed.